podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Ness and Dorma, your regular, sort of weekly, sort of semi-regular, weekly, maybe not quite so weekly, uh, football chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert, and also here is the virtually ever-present Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. <laughs> Hello. And also another Rob in special guest, Mr. Rob Bagchi. Hello, Rob. Hello, Lee. Hi, Rob. <laughs> You can get in touch with this podcast on at Nessundormapod on Twitter, or there's the website, which is Nessundormapod.com, and there's contact at Nessundormapod.com if you want to get in touch. You are probably listening on the Acast app or Apple Podcasts. Don't forget you can subscribe if you're there. It'd be really good. You'll just get a fresh delivery of our content whenever it comes out every week or thereabouts. And thank you very much, everybody who's listened so far, and a few people who've sent us some very nice positive feedback, haven't they, Rob? One or, one or two, yeah. One or two, yeah. Which is probably about half of the lin- half of the listeners. So you know, exactly, we're, not doing, exactly. we're not doing too badly. Coming up in this episode, we'll take another look at another defunct competition, like we did a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk about a forgotten goal that will help you remember if you don't remember it. And also, Rob Bag, Bag- Rob Rob Bagchi, sorry, Rob, is here specifically to talk about Howard Wilkinson's leads, and that'll be the big discussion this week. But first, a bit of a sad note to begin with, actually. Um, we, if you haven't heard, but we heard at the weekend that Benjamin Massing uh, died on Saturday at the age of 55. Um, most people, he played professional rugby, obviously, for a few modest French teams for a few years. But most of all, he's remembered for his, obviously, World Wrestling Federation flying leg scissors on <laughs> Claudio Canigia in 1990. And also being a big part of letting England get out of jail in that quarterfinal. Isn't that right? It did, wasn't he? Was he responsible for both penalties? He was yellow carded for one of them, wasn't he? Was it both of them? Him. One was a tag team, I think, between him and the keeper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just to get the job really done. Yeah. What I like about Massing, we, I think we've spoken about Kanija before, but it's so rare you get a player who's associated with one. I was going to say skill isn't quite the right word, but even <laughs> you get like the Cruyff turn, there's a Dan Roulette. But actually, with Massing, you don't even need. It's just Massing. Massing yes. and Panenka are the only two I think whose names immediately evoke. Uh, something. It's just it's the greatest tackle of all yeah, time. It's, it's, I'm not I'm not even interested in hearing any arguments to the contrary. It's, just the greatest, <laughs> the greatest. it's, it's always it's, good when you when you've become a verb, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. But it is really sad, and actually, it's surprising that um, in this day and age of you know everything being on a breaking news ticker, I didn't hear about it until about two days after he died. It just kind of almost crept under the radar, which. I I'd say he was only fifty-five, and only yeah. 55 and and died. He did I die in Cameron? I don't know what he's been doing. He finished not long after the. I think he retired in ninety-three or something. He wasn't. He wasn't long after the nineteen ninety World Cup. But yeah, the thing is, regardless of how relatively mediocre his professional career was, and it was, he will be remembered forever, certainly by this podcast, but by most people. So <laughs> yeah. that's something I suppose to, to to take with you. One other thing, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but that video of him when he does Kanija. And there's a bit of a squabble after, and he tries to kick Burchaga up the arse with his bare foot. It's, it's brilliant the way Burchaga saunters over, has a sly look over his shoulder to the referee, and then just crumps his studs on Massing's bare foot. It's fantastic. It's just. And then when he does get sent off, we've mentioned before, but he, he goes off like clapping the crowd as if he's just done it. It's like a, <laughs> yeah, a valedictory yeah. thing, as if he's just done a, a hat trick or something. He actually hands above his head job, clapping, <laughs> having just been sent off nearly killing somebody. But yeah, very sad. Rest in peace, Ben. And I say you, yeah. your name will live on forever, so thanks very much for that. Before we start talking about leagues, let's talk about a defunct competition, shall we? Um, and I want to talk about the Full Members' Cup. Mainly want to talk about it is because it is quite possible the most bizarre cups that has ever created in British football. In that one, it was brought in, I, you know, I only vaguely remember it because of the finals, but it was brought in because there was no European fixtures after Heisel. That was the first thing. But it's, 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 what I love about it so much, if, if Europe was kind of the glamour thing, then everything about this just reeked of sort of anti-glamour. It was like sort of being finished with by Jennifer Lawrence and deciding to go out with a mop in a dress instead. Because <laughs> even the name's absolutely ridiculous. Because it, yeah, because it's named because 
This is true because clubs in Division One and Division Two at the time were full members of the F- of the Football Association. Rob Baggs nodded, and um, yes. and and Division Three and Division Four were only associate members. You can tell that back then there That's were no. Right. You can tell that back then there were no brand consultants, can't you? It didn't go through a brand meeting or anything. Let's just call it that. But it was a Ken Bates brainchild. Wasn't oh, was it? it? That he um that he and Ron Nodes together wanted something, I believe, for the, for the clubs that weren't involved in Europe, um, so they could, as they say, sweat their players, so they could you know, get, get more bang for their book out of their players. So, um, yeah, it was, I think it was a thing that he'd actually he'd, he'd put forward before the Heisel ban, that there should be an alternative competition for teams that weren't in Europe. And I think, I think the top six, didn't they go off in this bizarre screen sports super cup? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and left everybody else in this, in this, was it Simod Cup for the, it was, for the first it was, couple of years? Yeah, then it was the Zenith Data Systems Cup. There were so many weird tournaments in that period when they were out of Europe. Well, did you remember the Mercantile Credit Classic or whatever it was in 88, 89? <laughs> I thought that was I a snooker got, tournament. I haven't got a fucking yeah, clue what the contact was. I remember Arsenal beat United in the final, but. Well, that was that was I, I do know that that was that was the hundredth anniversary of the football. Oh, league. of so course, they, yeah. They had some sort of tournament between six clubs, eight clubs, something like that, played on you know alternate weeks, um, midweek. That hundredth anniversary was the same year that they had the rest of the world with Paul McGrath playing yeah. against Diego Maradona, wasn't it? That was a kind of legendary mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Well, the, so fun, the, the, the first final was that. It's five four. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea were 5-1 up, weren't they? Both of whom had actually played on the Saturday and then had played on the Sunday in the final. Um, so that shows you how much care everyone gave it. But I think um, did David Speedy score a hat-trick, which um, was the first hat-trick scored at Wembley since since Jeff Hurst. So, I mean, there was something there. And it got a, a remarkably big crowd, that final. Um, it was over 70,000. Yeah, it was around that figure, yeah. Uh, Chelsea 5, City 4. Speedy scored a hat-trick, as you say. Doug Rugby scored her own goal as well. But yeah, it's, it was just such a bizarre time. And, and, and weirdly as well. Sorry, Rob, go on. No, it's they were all really high-scoring finals, weren't they? They were loads and loads Maybe and loads of goals. Like a, no one gave us stuff. I remember a great Forest counter-attack and won the finals. And that, did they, win it? they won it a couple of times, didn't they? It was another one of those finals, that, one of the, another one of those tournaments that went to Wembley that wasn't the FA Cup that Clough was brilliant at. Yeah, But yeah. couldn't do the FA Cup. It's really odd. Yeah, I think Chelsea won it twice and Forest won it twice. It, it was almost as if those clubs that took it seriously were almost guaranteed a, <laughs> yeah, a yeah. run to the final. And didn't Reading absolutely thump Luton the same year Luton beat Arsenal in the... Littlewoods final. Yeah, that was a really that was the strangest thing. Yeah, that, that, like Luton's yeah. greatest ever season, but they got battered by Reading in the final of this. I think like Michael Jilk scored or something when, he was, right. when he was about yeah, sixteen yeah. or something. And um, Palace battered Everton in 1991. Oh, that was Palace were really good then. That was only finished third. But I don't remember the final at all. I'm ashamed. <laughs> yeah. I you know it's one of those things that you couldn't really remember ever existing until you started. Are they looking on TV. Again. I remember the Forest Southampton game in 1922, I think it was on Sky or BSB or whatever it was, but I don't know before then. I, they I, can't, I actually can't remember. They certainly weren't on, on terrestrial TV, so <laughs> maybe they'd been on one of the one of the satellite channels. Elton Wellsby wouldn't have got out of bed for that. He was. <laughs> the full members' cup. That was a Matt Lorenzo special, that was. <laughs> but, it, but yeah, the Simod Cup. The Simod even still a thing. They they were a big sponsor in the United. They also sponsored the Minardi Formula One team. Simod, I remember that. I don't know why I've got such niche sponsorship knowledge from the early nineties, but uh, I seem to have that already. It's, this is entirely um, self obsessed, but we're having our bathroom done at the moment, and outside at the moment there's a big like uh, metal tray that says Makita on it, and I just keep thinking <laughs> of the fucking Makita tools. Makita Tools Cup. <laughs> Terrible, yeah. is it? 2017. I'm getting my bathroom done. Was that a lower league one, the Makita Tools Cup? No, wasn't that an Arsenal-driven thing at Wembley? You know what then became the season thing. Yeah, didn't they play like Sampdoria and people like that yeah. in the Makita tournament, I think? I don't know. We're not talking about it this week, but there's loads of stuff. Remember the Anglo-Scottish Cup? The Anglo-Italian Basically. Cup? I, Anglo-Italian Cup, I just associate with real fist fights. <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not, but was Swindon involved in one? Yeah, and Birmingham City, I think. Yeah. In, in another, yeah. 
Strangest Great. thing ever. So there you go, another defunct competition, the full Members' Cup. So yes, quite an interesting time, it seems, for football back then, and for many reasons, not not least of which, bizarre tournaments that kept propping up. <laughs> What's your favourite defunct uh, cup? Let us know out there, at Nessundorma Pod on Twitter. So, Rob, we've got Rob B. We've got you along this week to talk about Howard Wilkinson's leads, uh, specifically, because you know a thing, a thing of six about it. What, to start with, well, why don't we talk about kind of, I suppose, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, Leeds was this, you know, magnificent, great, crumbling empire in the late 70s and early 80s. Is, is that is that a fair, before Wilkinson came along, is that a fair statement to make or is that a bit unfair? Well, I think after the after the European Cup final in 75, it was it was downhill until we were relegated in, in 1982. Um, they went through three ex-Revy players as manager. They went through Alan Clark then Eddie Gray, then Billy Bremner. And though we got to the 87 FA Cup semi-final and we were in the playoff final uh, that year and lost in the third in the actual replay. We had the home leg, the away leg. There was a replay at St Andrews and we lost in extra time and that stayed down. Um, So, yeah, we were struggling. Financially, they were struggling. And their ability to to recruit... um, Wilkinson from Sheffield Wednesday, who were an established Premier League club who mm. finished fifth a couple of years before. I think we were at least 30 places behind them when he came in at the beginning of the uh, the 88 season. What's the story behind why he was so keen to come then, given that massive gap? Was did he just fancy a new challenge or was it money or what? Well, I think he said um, himself that that he he could map out three ways of managing a football club. One of which was was through the youth team and doing it on a shoestring. One of which was what he'd done at Wednesday, which was was uh, sort of prudent signings. But he was he was getting increasingly pissed off with their ability to match the wages. He he'd done deals to sign um, Mark Wright and Chris Fairclough, who he subsequently signed for Leeds, but they couldn't they couldn't afford the wages or they were blown out of the water by, I think, Derby and, and, and Spurs. So I think he was getting endlessly frustrated. And he says the day that he decided to leave, after talking to Leeds, who said that they would be prepared to chuck a couple of million at it, mm. um, at transfer fees and wages, that he 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 sort of raged at, at Hillsborough the day he left, just saying, you know, why have they why have they broken, you know, my dream, that he wanted to do it there originally. Mm. But but he was happy to go to Leeds because he felt it gave him the chance of, of of doing it the best way to try and you know build yeah. something lasting. So he comes in 1988. What what did he walk into? He walked into a club that that had gone through six years. Eddie, Eddie Gray had had built a team uh, that still had. Um, three really players in it. It had uh, David Harvey, Peter Lorimer had come back and uh, it had Eddie's brother Frank in it. Jesus, um, how, old but, uh, Peter, rest... how old was Peter Lorimer then? He was 38 <laughs> when he played his last game. He'd been off playing in, in Canada for Vancouver Whitecaps and he came back but played in centre midfield and he, he was absolutely magnificent. I mean, he didn't run around. The, the joke was that, you know, where we used to chant 90 miles an hour, it was now 90 pies an hour because he was so <laughs> slow. But he, he would he would just, he was such a wonderful footballer that he would just spray passes around. And he played alongside um, the kids, really, and all of whom went on to Terry Phelan, um, John Sheridan, uh, Scott Sellers, um, Ian hell, Baird, yeah. Ian Snodding, um, Andy Linnigan. But Bremner came in when Eddie was sacked and got rid of all the all the kids apart from Sheridan. Um, so we had we had a strange team. We had Batty had just come through. Sheridan was there. Um, Wilkinson got rid of Sheridan because uh, he didn't like his lifestyle, um, which was infamous around Leeds. But um, you know he's a wonderful player. Uh, so he came into a club that had, that had you know it sort of punched above its weight in terms of its investment for a couple of years, but just couldn't. Couldn't get over the line. We finished seventh in 87-88, but six points off a playoff place. Right. And then he went, he's, well, you said these these different ways of building a football club, as you just said, Wilkinson. So he then set about this kind of, from my memory, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a kind of mixed bag of signing players and blinging players through, wasn't it? That's right. He, I mean, he, he brought, and Batty was already there, Speedy brought into the team. The rest of them largely were, were bought. That he, um, uh, by the time of this, of the 
second season, the promotion season, yeah. uh, or his first full season. That's He brought Strachan towards the end of the first season and people like Carl Schutt. And then in the summer, he went out and bought Vinnie Jones um, and who else? Uh, John Hendry, uh, players like that. So he bought championship sort of level players, uh, spent about two million in total. And then towards the end of the championship season, when... Uh, there was a real problem scoring goals. He brought Lee Chapman in, who'd left Forest and gone to France for a bit. Uh, Niort, I think. Um, some, or was it Tan? Uh, so, Somewhere in France, uh, yeah. But... Yeah. And after a, after a bit of a, a wobbly spell, you know, we came back and, and won, won the second division. And that summer, again, he, he sort of, he, he got the job done, but then went out and bought better players, as he did the following season. What I, do, what I do like is as soon as he got promoted, he just told Vinnie Jones to sod off, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he did. Uh, but, I mean, the, the thing about Vinnie was that he he, he he was brilliant in that year. Um, you know, he, he was he just played a very simple role, but in terms of what he did on the field. And he, he deferred to Strachan, and I think he looked up hugely to Strachan. But he, he acted sort of as his on-field lieutenant. And, you know... He intimidated the opposition like, like nobody's business. You know, he he, he really did scare the living daylights <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. Where he would just hover near them, and he didn't really foul anybody that season. Yeah, isn't the story that he only he only had three yellow cards that season, and that was seen as a massive achievement by Wilkinson that he managed to keep him calm enough or something. That, that's right. I think they kept him on a pretty tight leash. They did, you know, get him into the get him into the office and have Strachan in his ear all the time. I think one of the big weapons that they that that Strachan had was, you know, his ability to humiliate people with a word that, you know, that if, if, if Vinnie Jones was letting the side down by getting sent off, then Strachan would be the first one to tell him. And, and they all rated him so highly and were frightened of him, really, in terms of his um, ability to, to cut them to shreds verbally, that they, you know, they generally kept in line. Was Strachan the most important signing throughout his whole oh, yeah. period? Without a doubt that, I mean... Strangely, or, or, or coincidentally, uh, that it, R- Revy had done exactly the same after a couple of years of struggle. He bought Bobby Collins from, from Everton in 1963-64 and bought a player that was thought past it, an elite player um, with something to prove. And as, as much as, as, as Strachan was brilliant for Leeds, you know, Leeds was brilliant for Strachan. It gave him a mission that, that mm. I think... Not just to prove Ferguson wrong, but to, but to you know, leadership, to have something to, to build, to have some sort of lasting achievement in the game. And I, I, I do think that as a player, his, his, his reputation largely rests on what he achieved at Leeds now because everything else, I mean, Aberdeen, of course, was, was wonderful. And, you know, he played in an FA Cup winning side at United and, and played brilliantly at times there. But I think his whole legacy is, is that past, that last, Seven years of his career. Well, the Rob, but remind me, what was it with Ferguson that he fall out with Strachan? Uh, I can't, I can't even remember. He fell out with so many people around, and he, I think he had just decided to rip up the team. I think like Strachan obviously wasn't a problem with his boozing because he sold McGrath Whiteside. I think maybe I'm trying to remember. So who would have replaced him? No one really replaced him for it properly until they got. Kinchelski. So I think maybe just I have the feeling it was too big a personality. They always had a slightly odd relationship, didn't they? So maybe he just thought it wasn't worth the hassle, and maybe he thought he was past it as well. I mean, he'd been quite. What would he been like? Early thirties when he joined you? Yeah, he's thirty-two, I think. So I mean, could, you know, in it's... my mind, he was permanently, perpetually forty years old. Gordon Strachan. <laughs> he just seemed to be forty for his entire career. But yeah, see, see what you mean. But I didn't realise actually. That he, so he went down the division when he went to Leeds. Yeah. So was that was that was yeah. that for want of. Want of suitors? There was nobody else who fancied it. Or did he? Did he fancy something about? Leeds? He almost didn't. He almost go to France. That what happened was that that him and Ferguson originally fell out when he tried to do a sort of proto Bosman thing when he was at Aberdeen, and I think he actually ah, did right. sign sign for Cologne. Uh, something happened, and in the end, he ended up signing for United. Ferguson wasn't very happy, um, but no, it was. It, when Wilkinson left Sheffield Wednesday, they put his assistant, Peter Eustace, in charge for a bit. Didn't work. And then they brought Ron Atkinson in. He had done a deal, or he thought he had a verbal agreement with Strachan to go to Wednesday. Strachan came to Leeds, drove to Wednesday, came back to Leeds, because apparently we, we just blew them out of the water financially. All right, simple as that, was it? So, he, yeah, he could have gone to a first division club, but, but also what Wilkinson did was have this, it sounds... But you would expect it of Wilkinson because 
you know, he is that well-organized, he is that well-structured, and Wilkinson himself was only, I think, 44, 45 at the time, but he, in his interview at Leeds, he came prepared with a 10-year plan, which, I mean, it was, he only lasted eight years, but, but everything that he put in place in that 10-year plan actually, you know, was the seeds of, of the O'Leary team, that, that building a, right, a new training yeah. ground, you know, improvements to the ground and everything. Because that's always meant, we'll come back to his lease time in a minute, but to talk about Wilkinson for a minute, he always seems to have been this kind of, for the past 10, 15 years, he's been this kind of, or 20 years really, this kind of oracle sage in the FA somewhere, as technical director or plotting something or organising or project managing something. It seems to be what he has been doing. And I suppose if you go back to what you're saying about Leeds, people often say, don't they, because he, he comes across as a bit bluff and old and stuff people always say what's he doing doing that job but i suppose if what you're saying is that effectively he created a 15-year program at least that gives you some explanation as to why does it it does i always think of that thing in i know fever pitch is hugely disgraced these days or, or people have, have turned against it but there's that, <laughs> that, that uh, wonderful bit where he describes his relationship with 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 arsenal managers and he talks about bertie me being his his granddad and and uh, terry neal being like a horrible stepfather that you can never you can never warm to, and how, how George Graham is his dad. But Wilkinson never really had that sort of relationship. Wilkinson was, to all of us, I think, some sort of teacher. He, he is that sort of <laughs> austere. And sometimes you hate teachers, sometimes you like them. And you could you could do both at the same time with Wilkinson. He was he was very methodical, but he was very bright, um, you know. And, and and I think he he, you know, having grown up through coaching, you know, a huge adherent of, of badges and structure and performance. And particularly physical fitness, which he, you know, is the stick that, that was always used to beat him when when he had, you know, Sheffield Wednesday players out running in, in the Peak District in the middle of, you know, December. But that's that, you know, he his genius was structure, really. Is that why he was was he known as Sergeant Wilco? Is that true? I mean, that's what the Leeds fans. That's what was that. That's what we called him. Yeah, and he adopted it himself uh, to such <laughs> an extent that that he would. Um, there was, a, I think, the year we, the, the first year we were back in the in a in the first division, the year after promotion, he used to do these little talks, you know, over the tannoy before the game, and he'd say, "Hello, it's Sergeant Wilco here." And all this stuff. <laughs> That's brilliant, Not yeah. Really but you know, half the time it was counterproductive because that year, I think we, the game where Liverpool beat us five four at home, but we were we, we were, I think we were either. 4-0 down at half-time or 4-1 down at half-time. But that had been sort of prefaced by Wilkinson saying over the time before the game, you know, we welcome him in this, this most storied club, you know, with wonderful players. And everyone's just like completely intimidated. By and even people on the cop who, who, who loved Wilkinson were just shouting, shut up! <laughs> speakers that were just there, you know, making him out to be supermen. So you came up in 89, was it? No, you won in 1990, Gary, in 1991. Yeah, 89, 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you came up for 1999. Infamous where, circumstances at Bournemouth. Yeah. Where, where, Remind people what the 20, infamous 000. circumstances at Bournemouth were, and why people, I mean me. <laughs> well, uh, we needed to win uh, to, to win the, the division, and uh, 20,000 Leeds fans turned up in Bournemouth to uh, to witness it, and obviously only about 4,000 of them had tickets. So um, ah. there was... Uh, there was some uh, slight discomfort amongst the locals, uh, some of which was probably, in fact, uh, justified. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't go, but my brother went and my best mate was there and they, they didn't get in. But some of the things that they, they saw that day, um, well... <laughs> well, right, well let's, let's look at that. Well, you, you, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Now. It is infamous. So you came up. So you came up. Jones went, obviously. Mel, yeah. Mel Sterling was already there. You mentioned Chris Verkloff, uh, Lee Chapman. Gary McAllister came in from Leicester, is that right? That season, John Lukic came in, speed and battery yeah. already coming through. So that you won the championship. So and that team started. Then you won the championship in ninety two, the, the old league championship. Was the team in nineteen ninety ninety one the one that then went on to win the ninety two championship? Or was there more yeah. added? So well, yeah, there was more added. In, in in the summer of ninety one he bought he bought Dorigo, who was up. Uh, you know, voted Player of the Year that year by the Leeds fans, and he also signed Rodney Wallace in the summer. And obviously, towards the end, Cantona came in for the for the last eight games, ten games, something like that. So, in that championship winning season, then what was the, from your opinion, the kind of best core eleven of that team? It would have been uh, Lukic, Sterling, uh, Chris White, Fairclough, Dorigo, 
the the famed midfield of uh, Strachan, Batty, McAllister, and Speed, and mm. Chapman, and, and and Rod Wallace up front. No, not Cantona. No, I mean he was only there for ten games, and, yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and made his impact most as a, as a substitute. Um, the following season, he became a, a starter, but it, it obviously didn't last for very long. It lasted another twelve games before he decided to. I want, to, um, to go. I want to talk about Chris White for a minute because his career is the strangest career, one of the strangest careers I think I've ever seen, Chris White. Because he was in his early 30s by then, wasn't he? And sometime he was, in he, the mid-80s, he, is it right he couldn't get a contract and end up playing indoor football in America for two years? That's right. That He went to... Um, it, I, I think he was something of a... You know, he played alongside O'Leary as a centre-half at, at, um, at Arsenal in, yeah, the, in the late, late 70s. 70s yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Early eighties, and then I don't think he could get a club. I think he came back uh, to West Brom, having impressed in the indoor soccer league, uh, and then we signed him from West Brom. But I mean, he was a, he was a remarkably quick player and and really tough. Um, it was one of those strange off the wall signings that you know, as soon as I remember, you know, seeing that that was who we signed, he was thinking, you know, I, I wasn't even aware that he was still around. Yeah, I always just remember the ball patches on his head. Yeah, yeah, he did have random... Is that what it was, yeah. was it? I never quite understood yeah. what it was, thought it was Burns or whatever, but he always had like patches yeah. on his head, didn't he? Well, as he said, a big, yeah. strong lad, but yeah. I don't know many players that lost a contract when and played indoor football for LA, whoever it Los Angeles and Detroit and stuff, then came back and won a league championship. He must surely be the only one to have done that. Yeah. yeah. So 1991-92 then, which is the big, the, the big season when it started, were you... Very confident. Where'd you finish the year before? Seventh or something? Fourth. Fourth. Oh, God. Okay, a bit better than that then. Were you confident at the start of that season, 91, 92? I don't think we'd ever thought that, that a, a title challenge was on. Um, but And we didn't start all that quickly. Um, I thought. I think we thought that the goal would be to try and uh, get back into sort of European competition because although Arsenal had been in the... Um, I think they'd got back, hadn't they? Having won the title in 91, they were allowed in the European Cup. Mm. Um, I think there was a Cup Winners' Cup. Um, yeah, Man United were in the Cup Winners' Cup. I don't know what happened to the UEFA Cup. So I think the, the idea was that to try and finish in the top four again, which would have got us into the UEFA Cup. Right. And that was certainly what Wilkinson's stated objective was. And did, was it a bright enough start to make you start to think differently? or Because when looking at it, you, you, you did quite well first couple of months of the season. Well, first kind of formal. You only lost one game, did you? Between August yeah, we did okay. and I think February. That, yeah, we, we did. We lost at Crystal Palace, which was, um, that should have been the first game of the season. And it was postponed. I think they were doing some building work at Crystal Palace. So we didn't actually start the same time as everyone else. Um, we lost there in the in the last minute. But yeah, we, we came back from 2-0 down against Arsenal and, and, and drew 2-2. We beat Liverpool at home for the first time in, in 18 years. Um, and another of his signings started scoring crucial goals, Steve Hodge, who he'd got from mm. Forrest. Um, and he, he had a, a, an extraordinary ability just to be, you know, there in the box as, a, as you, during a, an episode of penalty box or a pinball ricochet, he'd be there just to smash it in from like 12 yards. Um, but I do remember the game against Liverpool was the one where you started to think, well, even though it was a Sooners team, in hindsight, not all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you didn't, you didn't um, know that then, did you? It was still Liverpool. No, you, it, yeah. no it, you know, it was like a Nick, it was a Nick Tanner era and, and uh, <laughs> Dean Saunders. Uh, so, no, but it was, it, it meant so much because we hadn't beaten them for 18 years. We've not beaten them since we last won the title, I think. Yeah, so you lost that game to Palace. Of course, the next game you lost was against the mighty Oldham Athletic in February when you lost 2-0. I'm, yeah, an old, and, I'm, I'm an Oldham fan, by the way, so that's why I'm getting that dig yeah. in. But, um, yeah, I, I believe they, they suffered hypothermia and couldn't... couldn't, couldn't <laughs> Everybody couldn't always says that. It's never our football that wins games. It's always the fact that it's like playing on our, in the Arctic Circle that people always talk about. Yeah, so what kind of football was it then? Because there, there were quite a few quite a few big wins, weren't there? 6-1 against Wednesday, you know, 4-2 Notts County, 4-3 against Villa Sheffield game. United... They what stuffed that, Villa as well, didn't they? They stuffed the good Villa side four-one, I think, as well. They, they did, and what I mean, Villa were were on the way up, weren't they? I think the following season they were they were challenging Man United that uh, for the title. They that was the first. I'm pretty sure that was the first game that was televised of, of that season of, of Leeds, and and it was almost like a 
here we, you know, a coming out thing. This is who we are, to showing showing to the, to everyone. And yes, we we absolutely battered them. That that built largely on on crosses from Sterling and um, and speed. And and we just, I think Wilkinson man marked Tony Daly, which hadn't been done. He had Chris Fairclough sort of following all around the pitch, which seemed an odd thing to do to someone as erratic as Tony Daly. Was convinced that he was a, you know, he'd done his, he'd done his work, he'd done his preparation, he'd done, um, and decided that he was the playmaker and he was going to stop him, and, and that's what we did. And uh, when you look at the goal score, you mentioned about goals and top scorer that season when you won the league was was Chapman, but was sixteen. But there were quite there were quite a number of goals shared around as well, like you said, weren't it? Because Wallace got 11, Steve Hodge got 7, Gary Speed got 6, Sterling got 6 from left-back. Was he a, was he a set-piece taker, Sterling? He took he penalties, just, didn't oh, he? Did he? I was going to say that. He, he did, took penalties and free kicks, but but yes, Zico, as he as he was, <laughs> was, uh, was uh, had a, an extraordinarily powerful shot. And, you know, he, he was a, he a tub-thumping, barnstorming sort of right-back. You know, you wouldn't... <sighs> you know, you, you wouldn't want to be, have a conversation with him or anything, but he, he was remarkably um, committed. And he, he, I've never seen anyone cross the ball better at pace than Sterling. He could just hit these wonderful parabolas, and particularly coming from the right, you'd have Chapman in at the far post. But if it missed him, there'd be Speed piling in, who was, you know, as the cliche goes, he was terrific in the air. But he was, you know, he scored wonderful headed goals. as well as a couple of, you know, 20 yarders as well. I mean, you know, the late Gary Speed, but it's amazing because in my again, in my mind, he must have been about nine and three quarters when he made his debut for Leeds because he was just around for so long. Was he? How old was he this season? Eighteen, nineteen, something like that. He'd have been about twenty, yes, yeah, I think. Wow. Yeah, so the goals were were shared around a fair bit. You went on to win. You lost four games all season. Did did, did you go undefeated at home? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, did, yeah. yeah. and uh, you know, I, I think back then that that was felt that you know that was not the bare minimum for a title campaign, but it was something that had to happen that you, you should not, not that you, you know, you shouldn't lose, but you shouldn't, certainly shouldn't lose at home. And I think, I know it's a cliche about the intimidating atmosphere at Ellen Road, but it was still, you know, you were still standing there. There was, there was a terrace along one side, the Lowfields Road, and there was a terrace, um, obviously a big terrace behind, behind the goal. And it was, you know, as, as Ferguson, you know, dubbed Manchester United the theatre of dreams, you know, he also called us a theatre of hate, you know, as, as it was. So, that, that we we managed to, you know, the Leeds fans managed to make it a very hostile environment for, for visiting players and visiting supporters, I'm afraid. They're the, same, they're the same across all sports as well, because Leeds Rugby League are renowned for being not a particularly welcoming bunch either. It's, it's just obviously something about the city that uh, makes people want to intimidate people, I suppose. Rob, from, from your point as a United fan, was it particularly awful to lose the last ever first division to Leeds, or were you not asked? Uh, I don't think it was the fact it was Leeds or it was the last ever first division. It was just the fact that it had been 25 years at that point. I think people talk about low points. You know, I remember when United lost 6-1 to City, but nothing will ever be lower than that day when Leeds won the league and United lost to Anfield. Like, it just, it cannot, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible for football to get worse than that as a United fan. I think, nah, I think at the time there was a bit of bleating about, you know, the best team lost the league, but... Um, Realistically, that's bollocks. Leeds just held their nerve a bit better. I know United were unlucky with the fixture lists and with injuries, but Leeds just held their nerve a lot better, really. Um, and they were a really good side. You look back, that midfield was just sensational. Not just the quality, but also the variety. Everyone brings something different, a bit like the great United field, a midfield a few years later. Um, no, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, it hurt that it was Leeds, but but I think it was more. It was more about just not winning the league because it had been so long. It had been the first challenge. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it's been the first challenge since, I mean, arguably since 83, 84. I know they won 10 in 85, 86, but actually they, they were gone from the title race by February. So, but yeah, that, that day was a very, very dark day. So, so to go back to Wilkinson, uh, uh, Rob, or the Rob, the, uh, the, well, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Sorry, I just, the best way I could do it. But, uh, <laughs> so it was obviously a bog standard 442 because tactics hadn't been discovered then until, what, another six years before tactics were discovered in football, I think. Bog standard 442, was there a particular Wilkinson style of playing that Leeds played that he took elsewhere? Or was it, did he, did he work it with the players or did he make people play to his way of playing? What, uh, what was it? Well, I mean, it was based on pragmatism, really. It, it was 442 to an extent, apart from the odd, odd, you know, 
man marking mission. But he did. Um, I mean, what he tended to do was allow Strachan to be the playmaker in a wide role. Allow, you know, McAllister had had the vision and ability to pick out a pass, and Batty would sit deep and and, and screen the back four. Um, the aim of everything. I mean, people talk about him being a, a disciple of, of of Charles Hughes and and Wing Commander Reap. You know, the two the two people who are you know perhaps the the, the most um, vilified uh, or. Um, Influences on the game of the past. They're the, they're the years, long ball people, yeah. The analysis of the long are, ball indeed. people. Yeah. But we we didn't particularly play long ball. But what we did do is get loads of crosses into the box. You know, Strachan had a, a, an infinite direct balls of, uh, different to a long yes. ball. Anyone who's played championship yeah. manager knows that a direct ball yeah. is different <laughs> to a long ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there would be a lot of skimming crosses to the near post from Strachan. There'd be a lot of you know arced ones to the to the far post. There'd be you know our Chapman's strength was was in the air, but. But we scored a lot of goals from in and around the box as well. My favourite goal that season, the Leeds goal, is at, as you know well, at Sheffield Wednesday, that long sweeping move. I think it's Dorigo puts a really deep cross and Chapman's got a flying out. It's just a stunning goal. Like It's a perfect example of that type of kind of cross-based football. It's just fantastic. What, what was brilliant about that was that was was 60 seconds, 90 seconds after after Gordon was <laughs> yeah. the most egregious dive that you've, you've ever seen, you know, that he... Um, he just chucked himself on the floor. They got a penalty to bring it back to two one, and, and then we just we just swept them away, you know, on on a on a flight of righteous indignation. I think it was uh, marvelous to see. Was there a point during the season where you thought we're definitely going to win this now, or was it all completely nail biting? Because it was four points you won by, was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Man United beat us in both cups um, and actually added to their fixture congestion by doing so. We, um, we, I, I felt that we were there and had a, had a really good chance until we lost at QPR, um, where we'd never that done particularly March. well. Yeah, it was in March. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. And then it was always a, a case of catch up, really. Um, but it was only when Man United lost those three games on the bounce when they lost to, was it? Forest on on Easter Monday and and then West Ham in the obscene performance. <laughs> yeah, Ferguson called it, and then obviously Liverpool because I think we think we all felt that we go to the last game when we had Norwich and I don't know who United had, but Spurs at home. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so we always thought that last week, but it, it was only when the it was only when the the West Ham thing happened that we really started to believe. I think. And then, of course, the Sheffield United match, which turned out to be the, the title-winning match rather than the Liverpool match, the title-losing match, as, as it were. I mean, that was just a crazy game. It was, it was, you know, ridiculous goals. Um, an own goal that, that sealed it in the end when when Brian Gale um, and and poor old Mel Reese got into a, a, a terrible tangle at, at the back, and and you know, it was just a joyous occasion. And then, of course, you had the that bizarre ITV. Um, <laughs> where they had, they had uh, McAllister, Batty, Speed, and and uh, uh, and Cantona sitting on 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 Chapman's sofa watching the watching the United uh, watching the Liverpool Man United game, and then you know with a camera fixed on them to see what would happen when they when they won the league, and then obviously when they did, they were all a bit they all looked a bit bemused, and then <laughs> best laid plans and all that. Was that, was that like the uh, first ever episode of Gogglebox? It, it was. And obviously, Cantona said nothing and it wouldn't be drawn on, on anything. But but apparently off air, they were talking amongst themselves about how pleased they were that they'd done it, not realising that that, uh, uh, that Ferguson could hear the feed during his post-match interview. Oh my and God. it wasn't best pleased to hear them um, celebrating having done those um, red bastards. Yeah. <laughs> so you win the league... Did you get a feeling that this is the beginning of something quite remarkable now, and we could build a mini dynasty like the seventies? Was that genuinely a belief? I think I think we thought so because um, you know that everyone talks about the class of ninety two, but but you know we had a we had a, a league uh, sorry a youth cup winning team um, the same uh, the, the following season um, where we had players that we thought would be the basis of this of this. Um, New dynasty, I suppose, uh, but of course it, it it quickly it quickly fell apart. So what? Yeah. So to pick up on that point, then it did. Was it 
Well, one, let's 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 just remember this for those of you who don't uh, maybe not be aware of that this out there. Wilkinson does Wilkinson remain the last English manager to win the English league? Yes. Yeah. Because nobody else has because it's been Scottish and Italian and everybody else since and Portuguese and so on and so forth. But yeah, so he's the last English. So that's amazing. Um, but then of course, were you the worst champions ever? No. In terms of City. No, but they didn't win away from home. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. But the year Man after, City were right. re- Man City were relegated as champions once. Oh, were they? Right. Okay. No, anyway, sorry, Rob. So it's seventeenth the next year, was he? Seventeenth, yeah, and uh, looked all the world, you know, in, in March and April as if as if they were going down. But um, I'm just checking to see if we won an away game towards the end of the season, but I don't think we did. What what what, yeah. what happened then? Well, a number of things. Um, first, uh, everyone talks about the fact that the rules changed; that we weren't um, there were no more back passes, or the keeper couldn't pick it up after oh, the back pass. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It, it wasn't a tactic that they used an awful amount. Um, they didn't. Sterling had a career-ending injury in the, although he, he played three more games uh, in the 92-93 season, and we didn't adequately replace him. They bought um, they bought David Kerslake halfway through the season, but it didn't really work out. And then they sold him within within a few months. Um, and of course, they were just an aging team. I think that the Chapman. You know, wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he still scored goals, but he wasn't quite as. Not that he'd ever been particularly mobile, but we weren't getting the service into him, and it, it all felt as though, you know, it, would, it had gone very stale very quickly. And obviously, yeah. the Cantona business. Sorry, yeah, the Cantona yeah. business with him walking out, um, or, or I was actually ushering him out the door. Was was you know, it was a huge blow to morale, not amongst the team who were, who were happy to see him go, but but amongst <laughs> the fans. What I find interesting, and I don't know if you have a theory as to why, is that, uh, not to call them surprise champions, but relatively unexpected champions like Leeds, Blackburn, and to a slightly lesser extent, Leicester. The season after, their home form was pretty decent. In Leeds' case, really, really good, and Blackburn's. But their away form was absolutely diabolical. I, I wonder why that is. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's because teams particularly sit off them or, or anything like that. I, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's... I wonder if it's something to do with with the approbation they get at home that they I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. often it's, found yeah, it's because if you look at Blackburn ninety five six after they won the league, they were really really good at home. They, they thumped Forest seven one. I think it finished third uh, again away from home. Absolutely useless. I, I don't know. It's really interesting. I'm not quite sure why. But... Of course, there is the other thing that re, you know you, you followed up your championship winning season by having a couple of games where you played in Riverardi. <laughs> that's not you know that's that's not that's not a. a, a I want to challenge for the championship team again. Uh, move is it really? No, and Frank, no, all, did did Frank know, Strandley come in that season, or had he been in before then? Strandley came in, I think, towards the towards the end after after selling Cantona. I think. We, I mean, he another thing. Rep- Strandley had a great reputation, didn't he? He did. Yeah, he's as, as, one <laughs> a Norwegian prodigy, but no, he, he wasn't very mobile at all. <laughs> But the other thing, of course, is is, is the investment in, in, in the all-seater stadia to, to change the... We had that Lowfields Terrace knocked down and the, the East Stand built, which was done um, uh, towards the end of the, the season after we won. So that everyone was financially were planning towards that. And, and, you know, people perhaps don't remember that, that a lot of it was financed, the Arsenal North Bank, that... that uh, mm. Controversial scheme at West West Ham and Leeds. It was done on a sort of bond system. So there was always, you know, there was always a sense of uh, money worries that that year to an extent. But obviously, we, we went in the European Cup, and I think because Strachan had suffered from sciatica during the Championship season and was in and out of missed a few games towards the end, that 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 Wilkinson thought that he was he, that he. He'd gone, so he what little money he had. He bought two midfielders. He bought Rowcastle, and and he bought Scott Sellers back, um, which wasn't exactly where we needed strengthening at the time. Um, he could have done with a forward, or you know, and certainly a right back. What happened with Rowcastle? How was he at Leeds? Well, whenever he played, he he did okay, but he didn't have that sort of dynamism that that he had when he was playing for for Arsenal. And I think, I think. Graham felt that that the injuries had taken their toll on him, particularly a knee injury. Mm. Um, that that can't have helped his confidence at all. That that you know he had what six or seven years on Strachan. He'd won two two league titles at Arsenal, 
and yet, you know, as soon as Strachan was fit, then he, he was out of the team. I don't think he was fit when he came. Mm. And then because we had the problem with the with no right back, that Batty would fill in there, Speed would fill in there. Um, so they sort of array him across and midfield. David Batty's got an international cap at right back, by the way, <laughs> at that point. So. Euro, European Championship. <laughs> yeah. Talking of right back, whatever happened to Rob Bowman? I remember a game when he might have been 17 against United, and he was magnificent against, I think it was Giggs, it might have been Sharp, but he just looked so good of all that... And I know there were some really good young players like Sharp and Tinker and Forrester, but he looked fantastic. And then I can't remember hearing about him again. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, he was, um, you know, heavily involved in that youth team. Um, and I think that, that Wilkinson felt that he was the most mature of them and put him into that game. But but he barely played again. And and that um, that summer was when he had the inspiration to to look at Gary Kelly, and, who was a winger, oh, yeah, yeah. say, you know, at... 2021. 20, yeah, you're going to be a right back now. He, he was in the team for the next, well, apart from the year he was out injured for, for the next 15 years. That's another example of Wilkinson being ahead of his time, really, converting mm. a winger into a right back. Yeah. Like, I know he got a lot of stick and some of it justified, but in a lot of ways, he was very kind of enlightened, wasn't he? Yes, I think I think Wilkinson's problem is, is I, I don't think he particularly cares how, how he's perceived, but, yeah. but he, he can't help himself <laughs> coming across as, as dour. I think it's just, and I think that's part of his humour now. I think he, I think he, I think he quite amuses himself by by coming across as dour. <laughs> so he managed to stick around at Leeds, didn't he, Wilkinson, until '97 with mixed results. Would you say, or was it middling results? Well, we we had we had moments when, when particularly. You know, when we had money, he signed your power, um, and we had a bright start. You know, we finished fifth a couple of times. Um, we had a we hammered Monaco away, and then got done by PSV in the in the UEFA Cup. Um, we got to the League Cup final where you know he got booed off. Wilkinson got booed off for for not picking. He picked a, a really strange team that day. He didn't pick Brolin, who'd only been at the club for for four or five months, um, but was obviously in retrospect patiently unfit. I mean, I don't know how, how they, how they <laughs> yes. signed him. You know, four and a half million quid for someone with a, with a crocked ankle. Who, who, Especially know. since Wilkinson's such a detailed man, isn't he? It seems really yeah, I mean, that he squeezed had... through the, something like Brolin that, that you know, because he was quite blatantly totally knackered, wasn't he? And He uh, had wanted Aspria, I think. I've gone to Palmer and, and tried to get Aspria who'd gone to Newcastle. I'd and love then, to see uh, that conversation. How would Wilkinson and Tino Aspria having a chat? Yeah. And then I don't know if they'd said, well, hang on a minute. No, we haven't, you know, you can't have him, but what about whether they just took him you know, <laughs> the last, last thing left? But after, um, two years earlier, I mean, you know, at Euro 92, have you, have you seen a better player? You know, he was oh, just outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And there was just one, there were a couple of performances, one against Man United on Christmas Eve, where, yeah. where, where he played really well, and we won we won 3-1. But, I mean, it started, Leeds were bought out in the summer of 96, and I think Wilkinson lasted four or five games. Like Cantona saw him off at, at, at Elland Road, um, scoring the penalty, and, and he was gone by October, I think, 96. He, he actually missed the penalty in that game, do you remember? But then he scored a last-minute goal. It's one of oh, my favourite celebrations. He stands and looks into the crowd and there's a big fat bloke being restrained by about 10 people. <laughs> it's very funny. What was the... I mean, sorry, we, I, we we probably should have covered this a bit more in a bit more detail for people who don't know. What was what was the story with Cantona and Leeds? Well, he, he came in initially on loan having having uh, trained with Sheffield Wednesday who couldn't, um, who couldn't arrange... I think it was January, February. They couldn't arrange an outdoor trial match for him even though... Uh, Platini, who was the France manager at the time, because he was suspended uh, in, in, by the French league, so he couldn't play in France. Platini, who wanted him for Euro '92, spoke to his friend Trevor Francis, who took him to Sheffield Wednesday. But they were they wouldn't they wouldn't sign him without seeing him playing outdoors. Um, at least Leeds jumped in. Hey, Chris and, White and never had that problem, did he? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he. he he, he he was a remarkable presence around the club. It, it's um, the players all seem to really like him. Uh, certainly during the, the the championship winning running. Um, but you know you could when he started the following season, we signed him in the summer or, or paid the the agreed fee in the yeah. summer, and he started like a train. He scored a hat trick in the in, in the charity shield. You know he scored another against Tottenham. But there was a sense that he wasn't happy at the club. Um, I mean, what he said 
when when they did their parade in front of the town hall of city hall in um in the you know just after we won the league in 92 you know he, he came out with that line you know I, I, he was very reluctant to speak and everyone was shouting for him and in the end he he came up to the microphone and said i don't know why i love you but i love you and everyone went wild and this you know someone someone made a song of that you know just of those words that was all the song was you know people had t-shirts printed with that on so it did feel like um a huge a huge investment it was almost like i don't know having watched the the, the arse end of the the riviera we had some wonderful players but they were never they never perceived to have that sort of maverick status and 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 you know we had duncan mckenzie for a bit in, in the mid 70s but he you know put aside people who achieved things you know he he, he was too you know, he he just didn't seem all that committed, even though he could you know execute trick and flick and what have you. So to have Cantona, someone who who actually looked like a, a genuine winner, but also could play, you know, like a dream at yeah. times. But I think integrating him into into the starting eleven was was problematic, and uh, and Wilkinson just got fed up of his behaviour. That um, he never wanted to be substitute in the second season he was there, and I think Wilkinson away against QPR. He wanted to save him for the game against Rangers in the... Was it the Champions League or still the European Cup? It was the first year of the Champions League. It was the first year of the Champions League, yeah, that's right. Uh, So he he put him on the bench and he just walked out and said um, he wanted to go. So Wilkerson just gave him his passport and told him to bugger off, which which he did. (laughs) Then he came back, played against Rangers, where, you know, John Lukic punched one in at Ibrox and then... Um, they, they took us apart, Elland Road, without Batty, who was injured. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't live with them really. Um, but so he went just after we got, just after we went out uh, of Europe. Right. It, I think it was more a case of where he went, mm-hmm. you know, where, rather than you know him going. That was that was the biggest pain. And yeah. then what happened afterwards, of course. Of course, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, well, I've t- I think I've told this on here before, but I was chatting to a French guy you know, talking about Cantona and, you know, that he, he comes up with his, like, this artistic temperament he's perceived to have and he does poetry and he says these ridic- he says these things that seem quite strange and we go, oh, which because he's French and he's artistic and stuff like that. And this French guy was saying to me, what you have to understand is he's from Marseille, so he's got, like, the stupidest accent in the entire world, if you're French. <laughs> it's just a French accent to us, but to them, he says he's got this stupid Marseille accent. So I suppose for us, it's like somebody with a pronounced West Country accent or Brummy trying to be very clever-sounding and stuff, and it all kind of goes terribly wrong. Which, but it's because we, he's just French to us, so we think he's all mysterious and wonderful sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so when Wilkinson, he finished in '97. When he said where he got took over, and he off, off he went to the FA. You know, so I'll just finish on this, I suppose, really. And then he was he remained at the FA for a very long time, didn't he? And he was he was the go to caretaker at the FA, wasn't he? I seem to remember. Was it a game against Finland when he started Ray Parler? Ray Parler had a goal that wasn't given. Remember the nil nil draw last few minutes. Did he go off the bar or something? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't right. given. Yeah. And he also he was he was managed when they could, were absolutely destroyed by France in 99. When Hoddle went, was it? When Hoddle, yes. Just off Hoddle and I think he almost put together the um, the whole Arsenal back four. I think he picked three of them or something, or three plus Seaman. Um, but yeah, it didn't work. Well, it was a good idea in principle. Yeah. And uh, I think the problem, with, the problem with that Arsenal back four is that nobody would believe that Steve Bold could be an international footballer. He just he doesn't look like he doesn't look enough like one. But actually, I'm actually quite serious. That sometimes people do get hung up on stuff like this. Oh yeah, totally. You know, yeah. If you look at that Moneyball yeah. thing, you know, it's nobody looks at what they can do. They think well, he just looks a bit bald and weird. So we don't actually he shouldn't be an international footballer. If Neil Ruddock looked like Dave, David Beckham. How many caps would he have? Yeah. So there you go then. So a little trip through how Wilkinson's leads. How are things at Leeds now, Rob? Well, it's a win-win situation, really. Given given that. Chilino um, has gone. Uh, we have a new owner after we've had, you know, we've had Ridsdale and his crew. Then we had the, the so-called Leeds Consortium. Then we had Bates. Then the only, well, they're the only bank in the Middle East that doesn't seem to have any money to invest in in football. <laughs> we had them for for eighteen months, and then finally we had we had Chilino when it was just. You know, it was, everyone says, "Oh, it's a roller coaster ride. Strap up, strap in." But but nobody wants to be on a roller coaster all the time. It was it was it was terrible. 
in terms of our lack of integrity for two or three years. Now we have a new owner. Um, whether we uh, mount a serious promotion challenge this season, we're seventh at the moment. Started really well, but have fallen back, but have won the last couple. Um, so yeah, I mean things are bright. Crowds are up. Uh, there seems to be genuine optimism around. And, and you know we improved uh, massively last season under Gary Monk, um, and this season we seem to be kicking on a bit. So there you go. That was Leeds under the Howard Wilkinson era. Thanks, Rob. That was really interesting. Let's talk about. Um, we're going to finish with a forgotten goal. And this is Rob Smythe. This is one that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's um, it's a goal by Roy Wegley for QPR against Leeds uh, in 1991. So quite early in their first season back. Um, and it's just just a spectacular individual goal. We'll put it on the YouTube feed. Um, well. And what I like about it is I think he beats about seven players in total. But it's the fact that he does it so many different kind of skills. He nutmegs David Batty. It's a step over. There's one bit where he uses an off-the-ball run yeah. by not using it, as Barry Davis would say. And I love just the range of skills. And also, again, you have to put it in context. In the kind of early 90s, in the... Uh, it was 90, 1990, wasn't it? 1990, yeah, September 90, I think. These things didn't really happen, you know. You tended to, if you beat one player, fine. If you beat two, you're going straight up in the air. Whereas Wegerly managed to beat seven. And, uh, yeah, just a real... And it was a kind of... It was, he was very exotic at the time, Wegley. I know he, was, he never, yeah, yeah, he never did that much, but I think just because he was a, quite an individual player, he had his obviously American background, and it just it was something mysterious at a time when there was, was South very African little... and American, wasn't he? Was kind yeah, of strange, exactly. A strange mix. Didn't Leeds go? Name ended in a foul, Leeds you know. Two 0 up in that game, Rob. I'm sure they, they were two 0 and lost three two, and that was the first goal that QPR got back. Was this jinking? It was a second. Um, it was the second, was it? Yeah. It was the equaliser, yeah. We were turning it up, and then I think uh, Ray Wilkins scored uh, from the edge of the box. Um, then regularly just set off on that remarkable run. Um, and yeah, Rob's entirely right. The, 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 the nutmeg of Batty, and, and then that little shimmy and, and step over to take him past McAllister. And I think um, the number eight, which I think was John Pearson, tried to tried to just you know Benjamin massing him from behind, <laughs> but but he couldn't even get close. And then then he sort of he did that little way that great players sort of stamp their feet to lose uh, the player directly in front of him. He sort of shimmied and then and then just you know, rolled in a 20-yard shot. It was, And it's the only time I've ever been at Ellen Road where where the home fans have clapped an opposition. <laughs> it was remarkable. Did it win goal of the season yeah. that year? Yeah, it did, yeah. But he always, well, felt like I, he, he always felt like he was going to break through you know, the next season because he was so elegant, so skillful. He was. He just never quite happened. He went to Blackburn and did okay, but obviously... They had some great forwards under Dalgleish. He had some good years. never quite happened. He was part of that kind of good Luton team at the end of the 80s as well, wasn't he? he was, that's when yeah. he came through, wasn't it? And he's, yeah. When you watch that goal, the other thing is he's obviously very, like you say, very elegant and, and incredibly balanced. But yet, balanced, yeah. Yeah, but yet, but yet, for the last half of that run, he looks one blade of grass away from falling over, <laughs> which is really odd because he's obviously not going to, but I suppose it's just because somebody like me who's terrible can't understand how that can happen. It's like, oh, he looks like he's about to topple over, but he still manages to, as you said, do the stampy jinx thing and then love, kicks it into the bottom. Like when players look like they're going to go and they still stay on their feet. It's <laughs> two that really spring up. Maradona against Belgium at 86 when I have no idea. Oh, how does he stay? <laughs> that is, and yeah. the other one is scored best against Chelsea when Chopper Harris basically runs him over at 60 miles an hour and best still, if you look, pause the video at the right time, best body is at such a ridiculous angle. Uh, how he stays on his feet, I'll never know. And then he goes around the keeper and then only then does he go down, slides on the floor to the crowd. It's just brilliant. I love stuff like that. So, yeah, so there you go. We'll put that up on the Twitter feed. Roy Wegerly's jinking masterclass for QPR. Is it, there's something about QPR, and the, well, there's, there's, there's a thing about QPR and cultured players, isn't there? They've always had these kind of players who do quite well. Yeah, that kind Jerry. Of role. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, you got well Stan Bowles. Stan Bowles, Rod Marsh. Oh, yeah, Rod Marsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that kind of, I don't know, it just seems like they seem to find a home there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, not now, obviously. Yeah, I kind of like. Well, they have to wrap for a bit, didn't they? Isn't he? Isn't he having a renaissance now? Is he at Genoa or Torino? He's in anyway, but yeah, I'm only seeing him at Old Trafford. He came off the bench for Spurs in 2007, and I remember thinking at the time that he spoke an absolute genius, but he hasn't got a clue what he's. You know, he's got every trick in the book. He just will never know how to use them. And I think in the last season, in the last season, he just stopped running. Yeah. My, my my a good friend of mine is a season ticket and has been for years at QPR and every week for that last year of Tarab being there 
was just him going on an unbelievable Facebook rants at how incredibly he, frustrated he was with him. He had also arrived unwittingly caused one of our colleagues to lose about three stone. I think I might have said this before, but Neil Warnock was doing it when he was at QPR, was doing like a press conference and he was moaning about how fat Tarabd was. And he looked at this person, I won't say who it is, and just said, no offence. And this, this, our, our, this chap we know, so basically he's kind of thundered all the way home. Before, right? I'm laughing. And the next time I saw him, honestly, he lost so much weight so quickly. It's fascinating. So, yeah. Does Neil Warnock wear a wig? Because he's got no eyebrows and his hair looks weird. It looks like he might have a wig on, but I don't know. That's just, well, we won't say. But yeah. Thank you very much both. That's the end of our little uh, gallop through old football and some newer football this week as well. Um, cheers Rob cheers Rob and uh, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you all again or speak to you all again next week take care bye Sports Social Podcast Network